Jesus had one daughter, and it looked like I was going to have a Well, tell you what we're going to do. The audio. Oh, there we go. There we go. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the rundown. I will be your host today, Craig Deleuze, coming at you from the West Coast, the left coast, behind the Iron Curtain, otherwise known as the Sierras. I apologize for that little bit of a sound mix up there at the beginning. I don't know exactly what was going on, but hey, you know what? That's what happens when you are both in front of and behind the camera at the same time. That's right. Here on the here on the rundown, you got to be talented. You got to be able to do multiple things at one time. You got to be able to talk. You got to be able to listen, and you got to be able to run the cameras and run the sound and run the computer and all that, and, and look for your comments and all that fun stuff. So, in any case, I appreciate you all tuning in. I appreciate you liking the pro, liking and sharing the program and encouraging your friends to do the same. Today is well a very fun day for us. That's right. You all know what day that is. Ah, well. What do we call it? We call it Taco Tuesday. It's raining tacos from out of the sky. Tacos, no need to ask why. Just open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining tacos. It's raining tacos. Out in the street. Yes, that is right. Taco Tuesday, because you know there. I, I do, like once again, and I will say it. And I'll say it again. Uh, Taco Tuesday. What makes it so special is that it is the quintessential, like, American food that probably didn't originate in America, but we have made it. We have taken it and made it our own. And it. it anyway, you, by the way, you may have heard. So there was recently a lawsuit where. Uh, I, I believe it was Taco Bell. Someone was actually suing be, suing someone else because they were the ones who created the term Taco Tuesday. Uh, what, the, what the guy was saying, and I was listening to the interview once again, I don't exactly remember who it was, but he was saying that uh, normally Tuesdays at their, at their establishment was pretty slow, and so they wanted to try and find a way to get people excited, get people energized, get people to just kind of, I don't know, show up and buy some food on a Tuesday. And uh, so they created the concept of Taco Tuesday, and never looked back. It has become an American icon. Uh, so anyway, gotta love, gotta love Taco Tuesday. Uh, I'm always, uh, we're always attempting to partake of some different type of taco. I have absolutely no idea what Taco Tuesday is going to look like for dinner for me this evening, uh, but I'm sure it's going to be good. Uh, one of the advantages of having multiple people in your home who can cook really well is well, you get to eat really well. And uh, I will just tell you, I just got back from working out, and I will just tell you right now. Uh, I, I, I haven't missed many meals. I probably should have, but I haven't. <laughs> anyway, before we get into today's topics, let's go ahead and do a quick shout out to our sponsors. We'll start with Hitman Industries. If you've recently purchased an AR, chances are you already have one of their barrels. But if you haven't, 
why don't you get one? Uh, even if you're looking to do uh, a, a new build or you're looking to rebarrel your current rifle, go to hitmanindustries.net and you can find the uh, rifle or pistol caliber barrel that you are looking for. Trust me, great prices, quality products. That's hitmanindustries.net. Then there's the California Republican Assembly, uh, the conscience of the Republican Party, according to uh, the late, great Ronald President Ronald Reagan. Um, this is the largest and fastest growing conservative grassroots organization in the state of California. If you're interested in helping elect conservatives to office from school board all the way up to president of the United States, and you're in the state of California, CRA, GOP, CRA, GOP, dot org is the place you want to be. So if you want to be a part of California's future today, become a member of CRA. Then we got hog holsters. If you're looking for inside the waistband, outside of the waistband, concealed carry or tactical holsters, this is the spot to go to. Just go to hogholsters.com and get your quality holster today. Best part is you can get a discount. All you got to do is use the discount code, the rundown, all caps, no spaces, the rundown at hogholsters.com. And then finally, if uh, you, whatever sort of outdoor gear you're looking for, whatever sort of cold gear, hot gear, uh, boots, backpacks, I mean, whatever sort of, think, think tactical gear, think outdoor gear, think camping gear, and you can find it at uscombatgear.com. Veteran-owned and operated, great prices, fast shipping, great selection of products. Check them out today. That's uscombatgear.com. All right. Ooh, this first one is an interesting one because, you know, whenever we get a chance to really lead with a firearm story, I am always down to start with one. Uh, many of you know John Lott. John Lott has been uh, one of the few in the uh, entire industry, research industry who's really made it uh, his, his thing, his shtick, if you might call it, when it comes to studying firearms and, and really also analyzing firearm research, uh, research that other folks are doing. Well, recently, and you may not, you may or may not remember, uh, Brazil used to be the murder murder capital of the world. Over sixty thousand uh, murders with firearms uh, had taken place one year there in Brazil. It was just bad. And by the way, they had some of the strictest gun laws in the entire world. Uh, well, they elected a conservative president, and a lot of those gun laws got struck down. And uh, interesting thing that happened, uh, gun ownership increased sixfold there in Brazil. Uh, and this was, once again, this was according to the, the data and the information that came out that's come out of Brazil. But this is a, an article at Fox News. But gun ownership increased sixfold under former Brazilian president Bolsonaro. Bolsonaro and homicides dropped 34%. Now, you always hear Democrats talking about more guns, more crime. Well, John Lott actually wrote a book called More Guns, Less Crime. And so now we actually have a case where we've seen, we've seen the numbers go down. We've seen gun ownership go up. We've seen homicide rates go down. Now they have elected a liberal government, a communist government or a socialist government, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and so now uh, we have a chance to see, is crime going to go back up? Is violent crime going to go back up? Are murders going to go back up? So John Lott, 
decided that he was going to bet. Uh, he was going to bet. He found 12 of the leading uh, anti-gun or pro-gun grabber uh, researchers, and he was going to challenge them. He said, tell you what I'll do. I will bet you $1,000. $1,000. Now that there's a liberal government, and they're going to change the gun laws again, that when the gun laws change, I will bet you $1,000 that homicide rate goes back up. $1,000. Come on. President Luis Inacio Lua de, de, de Silva was sworn into office in January, and his first order of business was working to reverse the previous administration's pro-gun policies, including a decree that ordered citizens to register their firearms with federal police, limiting the maximum number of guns a person can own from six to three and suspending new firearms registrations. So in other words, you can't go buy any more guns, so if you don't already own a gun, too bad. And if you own more than three, well, you're not going to get to register them because I doubt people are going to be throwing away their guns. Now, so the question is, the question now is, are, is it going to go up? And that's when John Lott says here, John Lott, an economist and, acad and academic who leads the Crime Prevention Research Center, CPRC, which for years has researched and argued that an increase in firearm ownership does not mean higher crime rates. Uh, read, Webster's, read Webster's December comment and said it partially motivated him to embark on a betting challenge with fellow, with fellow gun and crime researchers. Now, he reached out to 12, right? And no one, he reached out to 12 different researchers. No one will take him up on his offer. Seven of them, oh, wait, hold on, wait, wait, okay, here we go. So he reached out to them, and uh, it says 12 academics earlier this year, $1,000 bet whether the homicide rate would increase in Brazil, Brazil under Lula and his administration gun ownership crackdown. Uh, Lot said, uh, noting seven of the 12 academics didn't respond to his offer, and the five who did respond didn't take him up on his offer. And I'm going to tell you why. I will tell you why they didn't take him up on his offer because they knew, they know that the crime rate is going to go back up. Because let me let me just give you a little hint. The criminals, the ones who are robbing, stealing, and killing, the ones who are going to be committing these murders, yeah, they're not registering their firearms anyway. So if they're not registering them, you know they're not going to be giving them up. But what they now know is, is that there's a, going to be a greater chance that the citizens of Brazil are now going to be unarmed. And so you're going to start to see those numbers go up. Because here's the deal. That's what always happens. Now, what's funny is and what I noted about John Lott. You know, John Lott says he's an economist. And the reason why economists are so good at studying stuff like this, whether it's an economist or an anthropologist, people who study human behavior, and what they do is, is they try to provide statistical or data analysis to human behavior. That's different than most anti-gun researchers. Most anti-gun researchers aren't economists. They aren't sociologists. They aren't anthropologists. You know what most of them are? They're medical doctors. They are medical doctors who treat and study firearms like they are a disease and uh in their idea in their opinion it's a disease that needs to be eradicated 
And so that's why their research always tends to be, well, in my never-to-be-humble opinion, so flawed. But anyway, it's going to be real interesting to see how this thing how this thing turns out. I will definitely be following it. Uh, I will not be taking Dr. Lott up on his bet because uh, I happen to believe uh, that he is right. And I'm sure that most of you out there who are listening to the program uh, prob- probably agree with me and Dr. Lott. Not saying, just saying. All right. Next we have, oh, okay, here's another one. This is good. All right, so according to a recent poll, most voters believe that Biden, when I say Biden, I mean both Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, engaged in illegal influence peddling. Now, this is a poll. Now, I know what you're saying. The first thing you're going to the first thing you're going to say when I as soon as I pull up the article, let me let me pull it up here. You're going to say, "Oh, but wait, that's Breitbart News." You can't believe anything at Breitbart News because they're conservative. I, well, I know none of you believe that. But I know that other people will will say that. But when we go on and we read, we find out that it's actually a Harvard-Harris poll. Now, y- y'all know that Harvard is not a conservative institution, right? I, I, hope, I hope you folks know this. I hope you realize this. They are as left-wing as they come. But anyway, it says most registered voters think... President Biden and his son, Hunter, partook in an illegal influence peddling scheme while he was vice president, according to a Harvard-Harris poll. The poll, conducted between May 17th and 18th, asked, asked participants, from what you know, do you think Hunter Biden was involved in illegal influence peddling and tax evasion, or do you think he was not involved in such schemes. Of registered voters, of registered voter respondents, 63%, including 83% of Republicans and 65% of voters outside of the two major parties, those would be independents, or yeah, normally we call them independents, but outside of the two major parties, believe Hunter Biden was involved in illegal in, in, illegal influence. More than four in 10 Democrats believe the same. So that's 40% of Democrats. All right. Don't miss that. That's 40%. A majority of a majority of 53% of respondents say that President Biden engaged in engaged in an illegal influence peddling scheme with his son when he served as vice president. This included Republicans, 79%, independents, 58%, while a majority of 75% of Democrats think the opposite. So 75% of Democrats don't believe the president had anything anything to do with it. Let me hit this last one right here. It says, moreover, 55% of all participants say that the Federal Bureau of Investigation is not really fully investigating Hunter Biden's laptop or foreign business dealings including most Republicans and third-party and unaffiliated voters, while 66% of Democrats think the agency is fully investigating uh, the device. So you've got a significant... I mean, even even though it's not a majority of Democrats, you've got a significant percentage. We're talking upwards of 40% of Democrats... Uh, who believe that, uh, one, they believe that Hunter Biden was influence peddling. 25% of Democrats at least believe that uh, the president was involved. 
Uh, you know, I, I, the thing is, is that I don't understand how you can believe that Hunter was involved and President Biden wasn't because influence peddling means you sold meetings with the president. And uh, why would the president do the meetings otherwise? I'm not saying he benefited financially, although there's plenty of evidence of that. But how do you at least not believe that he was involved in it? Since, by the way, he was the product. He was the product that Hunter Biden was selling. So one would think it would only make sense. Yeah, he might be involved in that. I'm just saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I don't know. That would. I don't know. That one. That one to me, quite frankly, does not make. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, <laughs> it really doesn't. Uh, it just. It just seems too much like he was clearly involved in in it especially when you start taking testimony of uh, Bob Bobolinsky who was involved in a number of those meetings uh who you know who who met with Joe Biden um especially when you look at the information that's referenced on the laptop about the big guy the, the information set up regarding the accounts when you look at the recent information that was sent out about the nine different Biden family members who received money from mysterious LLCs who received millions of dollars by the way from mysterious from LLCs that got their money from foreign agencies and foreign companies by the way foreign agencies and companies from countries that had business in front of the vice president. I don't understand how that's not influence peddling. I don't understand how the president, how the vice president, or now, pre now president, then vice president. Uh, I don't understand how he thinks that, how he thinks that, yeah, get, he can get away with saying that he wasn't involved. But then again, when the media is on your side and the media is willing to lie for you, because that's the problem. That's what they're doing right now. They're, they're, they're covering up. For Joe Biden, uh, you feel like you can get away with whatever you want. And that's what he's doing. But clearly they are not fooling uh, most of the people. Most of the people out there are not being fooled by the information uh, by the information that's being hidden. And it's kind of sad, though, that so many people recognize that the FBI is not doing their job. So many people recognize that the IRS is not doing their job. Uh, it... it, it in, in, once again, I don't believe that these are the the rank and file agents that are the problem. I believe it is the the leadership. The leadership has been politicized, uh, and they've decided that they're just not going to go after someone who's politically connected. In this case, it's the vice president. Well, especially since they just, since they got so involved in taking down the last president, I guess they don't want to get involved in taking down two presidents in a row. And with that, we're going to move on to Tim Scott. Tim Scott, uh, who I've actually had a chance to meet. Uh, one of the nicest down-to-earth guys that you will ever uh, that you will ever meet. Uh, very, very smart individual. If you haven't had a chance to read his book, uh, I think you should. Even if you're not, even if, even if you are not necessarily inclined to vote for him, he is. Uh, his story is an American success story. Uh, grew up. Poor, grew up in a single parent household, uh, and he overcame. He overcame everything because, you know, the values that were instilled in him by his by his mother and by his grandparents. Um, you know, it's kind of funny. Well, you know, it, it's kind of funny that you have folks like Whoopi Goldberg going after Tim Scott. 
and and uh, and she, you know, she basically called him. She said, called, basically said, well, he's, you know, he's like a he's a Clarence Thomas type. And it it's funny because I'm like, yeah, Clarence Thomas is the is on the Supreme Court. He's probably the most revered member of that Supreme Court. Uh, well, to anybody who's you know not a Democrat, to anybody who's objective, uh, he's probably one of the most revered members. But let me show you what what uh, what uh, she had to say and what the the liberals on the View had to say and the, the sorts of attacks uh, that uh, that they went after. Like I said, like I said. One of one of the nicest, uh, most moral guys you will meet in politics today. Republican Senator Tim Scott mm-hmm. has thrown his hat into the rink. He, I guess, I put, guess out put out a, out a, a clip, clip, an ad, which I guess which we're going to see, right, see now, right now, right? right? Yep. Today's kids are growing up immersed in a culture where everyone's a victim. We have to start teaching the necessity of individual responsibility. If you are able-bodied, you work. If you take out a loan, you pay it back. If you commit a violent crime, you go to jail. Can I get an amen? (laughs) You know, Tim, we should show this ad to your party. Especially if you're going to talk about personal responsibility. Yeah. I mean, you know, all of the you talk about a victim. I won the election. I won. I won. I won. I won. Come on now. You, this, you might. This might have been a little much this year. You know. So I've always loved Tim Scott. I mm-hmm. when you, a bit when he was in the House. He's uh, was the first Black Republican senator in the Senate, which I think is is great. I love that this is a contrast to Donald Trump. I just worry. I don't know if the party's ready for it. What Tim Scott brings is a traditional conservative that stands for something other than just grievance. He's somebody who wants to reach across the aisle when there's an opportunity to do that. He did that with the First Step Act and has made getting wrongly, not even wrongfully, but I'd say getting people out of prison who have been over-sentenced and trying to rehabilitate them and get them back into society. <clears throat> and my favorite is Opportunity Zones, which he's been big on economic investment in underserved communities, which I believe in this country, the dignity of work in a career in a profession is the biggest equalizer. And it's a thing that kind of lets you create your American dream. I'm hoping that there's a juxtaposition here to Trump that resonates with people. I don't know, but Tim Scott's someone I could support. I'm excited he's in the race. I got to tell you, I'm also happy he's in the race because I think there is such a dearth of uh, melanin in the Republican Party and also of optimism and unity, right? So um, when you, you know, the, the bar is low, right? So when, when you've got there is Donald Trump who, and Ron DeSantis, who's also going to announce this week, and they're both full of grievances and piss and vinegar. One is spreading conspiracy theories and lies and calling himself the retribution. The other one is manufacturing culture wars against everything and everyone to the point where the NAACP actually issued a travel advisory against going to Florida. The the formal travel notice states, Florida is openly hostile toward African Americans, people of color, and LGBTQ individuals. Before traveling to Florida, please understand understand that the state of Florida devalues and marginalizes the contributions of and the challenges faced by African Americans. So I think it, I really welcome somebody that speaks like Tim Scott, looks like Tim Scott, has lived the life of Tim Scott, 
to be on that stage with a different message, even if I disagree vehemently. Yeah. At least he's not a jerk or a madman. That's where my bar is. Well, yeah. <laughs> and when seeing that he uh, threw his hat in there, I was also noticing that for the uh, Republican Party, who, who is very rarely diverse, you've got the uh, Vivek Ramswamy, an Indian-American man of Hindu faith, an Indian-American woman, a woman, Nikki Haley. You've got two black men, um, I think Larry and Elder. An Guy. And well, <laughs> like I said, representation matters, Anna. Um, but I think the thing that is unique about Tim Scott is we talked at one point about how could evangelicals support a Donald Trump, and they did. When you put them in the same pool and you take a real evangelical man, uh, whether you agree with him or not, he could take that vote that mm -hmm. really was a big chunk of what Donald Trump got. So I think anytime you're adding kind of a distinct lane that's not Donald Trump, again, the bar is low, I'm all for it. I think it, it could uh, be good. Well, let me be the curmudgeon, I guess. Um, I, I don't know who his message is supposed to resonate with, actually. Um, he's talking about victimhood and personal responsibility as if um, people aren't taking responsibility for their own actions. Um, and, and it just seems to me that the Republican Party has a real racism problem. I mean, and those aren't my words, those are the words of Michael Steele. Uh, in 2018, he was asked as a Republican, the former RNC chairperson that was the first black person to hold that position, and he said there's a real problem with racism within the Republican Party, and he should know. Um, and, and so it, it seems to me that, you know, at this point, Tim Scott is, is only polling at 1.8%. Donald Trump is still the front runner at 56.3%. And I do want, oh, people are surprised at that. But yes, and Ron, Ron DeSantis is at 19.4%. And so it just, it just seems to me that this is, you know, and black, black people make up 2% of registered Republicans. Um, so it's a very tiny fraction. I don't know that the overwhelming base would vote for someone like like Tim Scott. I th you know, I, th I think it's really important. If he had come out and he had said, you know what, here's what has been happening and here's how I'm going to change it. Yeah. Instead, for me, he came out and did that dog whistle, mm -hmm. victimhood. As soon as you say that, you know what he's talking about. I didn't like that. I didn't like it. You know, I don't like the idea that he's got this this idea that people don't take responsibility for what mm -hmm. they do. And that's why I said, listen, you should talk to your party first yeah. because they didn't take responsibility. No. So I want, you know, listen, if he comes out with something that makes sense, that's what will make him sparkle. Tell us what you're going to do. Yeah. You come out and you say, well, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I do the strictest uh, abortion law. Mm -hmm. That's not going to fly. No, no. That's not going to fly because you have to be here for the entire nation and figure out what's going to work for everybody, not for just one side because we've already had it and it doesn't work that way. It's not a good, you know, it's not I, a good look. I don't look. think he's, um, I don't know, maybe... A little longer than I was going to, but because I, I wanted to get the whole one of the lines that she used in there, she's told her co host on The View, she said he has Clarence Thomas syndrome. Now, and she also, but she did get to the point where she talked about the racist dog whistle. And you know, he, here's the thing when I talk about, and, and, and when you talk about victimhood, and, and here's the point. If you listen to all of the critical race theory, all of the DEI equity training, all of the stuff that they've been putting out there, I'm not talking about black history. I'm not talking about teaching about civil rights or anything. 
any of that stuff. I'm talking about the stuff that they mean. A lot of some of the stuff that they teach in there is they teach that you know black people do what the young black men commit crimes because they are victimized by white men. That's what they I mean. I, I I'm be, I'm oversimplifying it, but that's pretty much what they say. That's pretty much the crux of their message. When you go and you read, there's a group. Uh, there's a group of publishers out there that do this. They do a series of articles. They're they all produce black newspapers. It's called Word in Black. And everything out there, everything they say, everything that is, every place where there is a disparity, it is because of racism. There's an article that they put out this week that was talking about, well, you know, racism makes exercising hard. What? Exactly. No, I know. I know exactly what you're thinking. That's exactly what it Racism makes working out hard. Now, I'll tell you what makes working out hard. Um, last summer, I was in probably some of the best shape of my life. I had more. I was lifting. I was doing crab. I was running. I was stretching. I was doing a bunch of different stuff. Then a, this, that, and the other happened, and I got off the working out. I started not eating right, and I put on weight, right? And then I got, I've gotten back to it. Now I'm back into it. I'm back at it. And you know what's you know what's making my working out hard right now? The fact that I, this guy, didn't stay on top of his working out, didn't stay on top of, of eating. But here's the deal. When I recognize that I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul, that where I am or where I will be is a culmination of the decisions that I make. Not necessarily what happens to me, but how I respond to it. I am empowered to start to make different choices. See, what they don't like is Tim Scott, like I said, someone who grew up poor, grew up in a low-income in low-income community, grew up with a single mother, raised by his, by his single mother and his grandparents. Then she compares him to Clarence Thomas, who was also raised by his grandparents, also raised very poor. But once again, through education, through hard work, he made different choices. And because he made different choices from others, others who maybe decided not to go to class, others who decided maybe they were going to do crime, others who decided that they were going to go out and mess around and do whatever, right? He's, uh, he, he, you know, he didn't have any kids out of wedlock, right? He's, uh, he's successful. Owns six his own owns his own owns his own business. Got elected to Congress. Got elected to the Senate, and has done well for himself. Clarence Thomas, same exact thing. Thomas Sowell, same exact thing. And all of them are preaching that this specific thing. You are empowered because you have the opportunity of choice. Now, when you sit back and you say, "Well, the white man is doing this," so or society is doing this, or Republicans, or the government isn't. That's that's victimhood. That is, you are saying that I am not capable of overcoming my circumstances. And the funny part is, people are like, well, you think because you did it, that everyone else can do it. Well, guess what? They can. See, what's, what's funny about it is, his position is so... Egoless. 
Because all he's saying is this. He's saying, dude, I'm not any better than you. I made choices. I made certain choices that allowed me to be where I am. If you make similar choices that come along in your life, you can be where you want to be. That is empowering. But telling people that systematic racism, systemic racism, that the white man, that the Republicans will not allow you to be successful, will not allow you to achieve, that's not empowering. That is making a victim out of somebody. And that is exactly what Democrats do. That's exactly what Joe Biden did. Joe Biden said they're going to put you back in chains. Well, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, Trump was president for four years. I, I ain't got no chains. In fact, uh, I did pretty well under Donald Trump. Guess what? So did most black folks. Did pretty well under Donald Trump. Now, that you got you guys that one lady talk about Florida. By the way, just so you know, Florida ranked number two for black-owned businesses in the country. Number two, ahead of New York, ahead of California, ahead of Michigan, right? Florida, you know, the place where it's dangerous for black people to go. 70% of the population there in Florida is black. That's above the national average. If it's so bad in Florida, why aren't black folks running from Florida? Uh, that one hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. See, that's the problem. The, the problem is, is that they can't handle the truth. Those are the facts. And they don't want to hear the facts, right? Facts are not something that interests them. Because the facts are not on their side. And that are just be how it be. I see we have a comment here from Nick. Uh, or not Nick. Uh... No, I'm gonna. I'm butchering your name. Butchering your name. No, Noak. Uh, it, it says here, and this is over at Ob, this is over at Opslands, which is why I'm not bringing it up. Uh, the biggest racism in the country is created by Democrats and people like the View, right? Because see, they think that they think that black people cannot be successful without the help of white people, unless white people are willing to get on their knees and genuflect and talk about how sorry they are for the racism uh, that they clearly and obviously have uh, and say, I will give you what all my, I will lower, we will lower all of our standards, right? We'll lower our academic standards. We'll lower our financial standards in every way and give you whatever you want. And that way we will create equity. See, here's a problem. Equity as a goal it's not a bad it's not a bad thing, right? When I say equity, equity means, you know, trying to equalize the outcome. We provide equality because we want to try and make sure that cuz not everybody can start off in the same place. So we want to try and make sure that people have equal opportunity, right? The idea is that if you're giving people if you give if people have equal opportunity, that eventually over time you will start to see equity, right? Of outcome or which is basically equality of outcome. But when you start mandating equity, right, without changing the underlying stuff, right, you remove individual agency. You remove individual responsibility. The only way in which you can then have equity is to take from those who've earned and give to those who haven't. Here's the problem with that. When you do that, 
See, there's a reason why those who've earned, earned it. There's a reason why those who haven't, didn't have it. Right? And the same thing you need to get it, you need to keep it. And so the problem you will always have is, is that if you don't provide that equality of opportunity, if you don't give people the tools that they need in order to get it themselves, eventually what will happen is the folks who got it, who had it before, they're going to get it back. They're going to get it back. And they're not going to be real happy about the fact that you took it from them in the first place. Just saying. All right, let's go ahead and move on. Oh, I wanna get, I'm going to hit this last story. I know I'm way over time right now, but I'm going to go ahead and hit this last story over here. Uh, the state of emergency was declared in the state of North Carolina. You want to know why? Because there's a school choice bill that's about to pass. I'm declaring this state of emergency because you need to know what's happening. If you care about public schools in North Carolina, it's time to take immediate action and tell them to stop the damage that will set back our schools for a generation. Here's what's happening in the next few weeks. Their private school voucher scheme will pour your tax money into private schools that are unaccountable. That's right, a state of emergency because a bill that says your money, your tax dollars, tax dollars that are right now going to pay for your child's education are going to follow your child. It's not going to go to a school. It's not going to go directly to a school in your neighborhood unless you decide you want to send your child to that school in the neighborhood. But if, you, but if the school in your neighborhood is failing your child, let's say they're not, doing, they're not providing a quality education, then, in, in, well, in their, in their eyes, in the, the, the Democrats' eyes, the Democrat governor's eyes, Mr. Cooper there, uh, tough luck. But the, what the bill says is, is that you can send them anywhere you want. And if you send them to another school, if you send them to a private school, if you send them to a charter school, that's where the money's going to go. If you send them to school in another district, that's where the money's going to go. And he says it's going to devastate their schools. Here's the thing. I'm a school board member. I sit on a school board. We've had charters open up. Uh, in near and around us we actually have a charter within our district um, here's what I will tell you charter schools private schools create competition competition then encourages you to get better better about doing better and providing a better product and better about messaging about exactly what it is that you are doing with that product and how that product will benefit the students I, I will just tell you the school choice makes public schools stronger, does not make them weaker. Here's the ones that it makes weaker. If that school is failing and they don't adjust, they don't adjust how they're doing things or what they're doing, then they are more likely to continue failing because here's the deal, folks. The parents then make the decisions, right? Parents decide where their kids are going. And uh, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I believe in power to the parents. Because I believe parents are the first and primary educators of children. Uh, they do not abdicate that, that accountability or that responsibility when they delegate a portion of it to wherever they send them to get their education. Uh, they don't abdicate that responsibility. And when, uh, when the place that they send them fails to do what they're supposed to do, well, then they ought to be held accountable. And I don't see anything wrong with that. And I'll get, tell you what, I'll bet you don't 
either. All right, well, uh, that brings us around to our parting shots brought to you by Hog Holsters. Uh, go to hogholsters.com. Use discount code The Rundown, all caps, no spaces, to get your hog holster today. This first one is kind of a throwback. Uh, you'll you'll know and recognize this guy. I saw it. It's cute. You've probably even heard the joke before, but you know, I, I just felt like I had to do this one. So check it out. Reminds me of a story, and I know some here have heard me tell this before, and maybe everybody knows it, but pretend that you haven't heard it because I like to tell the story. <laughs> it's a story about the parent with the two children and two sons, and one of them was a died in the wool pessimist and the other one was an incurable optimist and they thought they were both so unrealistic that they talked to a psychiatrist about it and he said he thought he could solve the problem and they said well what well he said let's get the most magnificent set of toys any boy ever had and we'll put him in a room we'll take the pessimist there and then we'll turn him loose and when he sees those toys and knows they're all for him he'll get over being a pessimist and they said what are you going to do about the optimist well he said i have a friend who's got a racing stable and he said, we can get quite a quantity of what they clean out of the stable. And we'll put that in another room. And when the optimist has seen his brother get those toys, and then he gets that, he'll get over being an optimist. <laughs> well, they did it. And finally, after a period, they then went in and followed in where the boy was with the toys. And he was sitting there crying. And they said, what, what are you crying about? He said, well, I know somebody's going to come and take these away from me. <laughs> And they went down to the room with the optimist, and he was on that top of that pile of stuff, and he was throwing it over his shoulder as fast as he could. And they said, what are you doing? He says, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, that was cute and cheesy at the same time. I, I'm pretty sure most of y'all knew where that one was going. But anyway, Mike's not here, so we can go with the clean jokes. <laughs> <clears throat> uh, except for this one okay this one is uh, okay this is funny this one's from the babylon b uh this is uh well addressing the issue there in san francisco from the according to the babylon b san francisco announced a plan to release monkeys onto the streets to fling away all the poo ha 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 fun stuff Fun stuff. Now, I don't know if you guys heard, but there was an incident uh, that took place at the nation's cat at the White House. Was it the White House? Yes, it was at the White House, where an individual drove a truck into the White House. So he rammed his truck into the White, he rammed a truck, a U-Haul truck into the White House, and they made a big deal over the fact that well, this guy's probably a white supremacist because he uh, had. Uh, a swastika. He ran this U-Haul truck at, at low speeds. I don't know what he was thinking, but anyway. But uh, it turns out they've identified the guy, and this is him. It says the suspect, the suspect who drove a U-Haul into security barriers near the White House carrying a swastika flag, which was carefully and perfectly laid out on the ground uh, by authorities for a perfect photo op. His name is Sai Varshith Kandula. Yeah. Anyway, it turns out, chances are he's not a white supremacist. Yeah. No one thought that could possibly be made up, but you know, there you go. Anyway, fun stuff, fun stuff. All right, folks, well, we're running over, so let's just do a real quick shout out to our sponsors. If you're looking for rifle and pistol caliber barrels, go to hitmanindustries.net. Uh, quality products, great prices. Uh, CRAGOP.org, that's where you go if you want to be part of 
California's Future Today, join CRA. And get your hog holster at hogholsters.com. Use discount code RUNDOWN, all caps, no spaces. Get your hog holster today. And finally, outdoor gear, tactical gear, camping gear, you name it, they got it. uscombatgear.com. And that's going to be it for today. We will be back tomorrow. Now, Mikey has said that he should be back tomorrow. So the uh, usual jokes and banter shall return. Uh, note that the show will likely return once again to PG-13 status. So, you know, be careful of the little ones. In any case, we'll talk to you tomorrow on Hope Day.